Well, good morning. Every athlete has his march-up or her march-up song. I guess that's going to be mine. Um, when you think about just that video and what it invokes or evokes like in you, uh, I hope as a believer it challenges you. And so you may get in some uh, a sense that is where we're going this morning. And so uh, let me first introduce myself. My name is Ryan McCreary. I'm the associate pastor here. And if I've not had a chance to meet you, I uh, just wanted to have a, an opportunity to introduce myself. It is uh, Family Sunday, so it's fantastic to look around and see uh, kids of all ages from kindergarten all the way up. So uh, kids and students, I'm mindful that you're here. Uh, and so I'll definitely look to connect you and try to keep the message a little bit shorter than usual. But like I say, when the spirit leads, you just never know. Um, but um, really, we're answering this question this morning. Have you been sent? Have you been sent? It's a pretty broad question. You're like, well, have I been sent where? Well, we're going to look at John 17, 16 through 19. And we're going to really kind of dive into God's word and to answer this question. Have you been sent? Um, but I first want to start with uh, an illustration. And students, you're not going to like me for this. I'm going to start with a school illustration. Uh, I know school, like your, your school is like two weeks away or it's X number of days away. You don't want to think about it, but we're going to talk about school for a little bit. We're going to talk about geometry. And I want you all to know this. I say this all humility, like I am a good math student. I love math. And I know by saying that, I've just divided the congregation in half. Some of you tuned out. You don't like math. You don't even like want to think about math. We're going there this morning. Uh, and the others are like, oh, good. I've been waiting for this. Uh, so we're going to look at geometry. And I want you to know, and I forget somewhere, uh, I was always in, um, in math honor classes. But when I got into high school, it was either ninth or 10th grade. I forget which one it was. But I went to geometry honors. And so I walked in there, and I remember at the very beginning them sharing about geometry, and they gave us this list of things to memorize. Now, again, I like math. I like numbers. Why are we memorizing definitions, theorems, postulates, properties? So I get my first test back, and uh, I'm used to A's, high A's, uh, and uh, you guessed it, 68. Okay, so I don't make 68 when it comes to math. Uh, in fact, I was usually a straight-A student. Um, and so I'm like, okay, okay, what is going on here? Then I get my second test back. No lie. 68. Okay, something's got to change. How do I get out of this class? That was the first question. Well, you have to take geometry. How do I get out of honors? And what I ultimately realized is I need to look at it from a different angle. I needed to understand not what I thought geometry was about, but ultimately what is geometry? All these shapes and angles and even the things I have to memorize. And once I kind of looked at it from a different angle, I started to make much better grades and kind of got back into uh, making A's in geometry. But it really, uh, and I say that because we're going to look this morning at John chapter 17 and the calling of the believer. And I want you to look at it and consider it. And I want you to be open to it from a different angle. Now, we're certainly going to preach uh, God's word, and that's what we're talking about. So, but I do want to teach you a property of geometry. And now I think I just, I just missed another half. But, but we're going to go there for a minute. Take a look at the screen. We're going to look at the property, uh, the transitive property of equality. So the transitive property of equality. So if A equals B, and if B equals C, then A equals C. Now, again, at some point you're like, hey, what does all this property stuff have to do? Uh, I, I don't quite understand it. So uh, if, if you're younger, 
you don't have to worry too much about it. One day you'll go there. But here's what I mean by this. So if A equals B and B equals the value of 7, then A equals 7. See, half of you get it. Uh, so if A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C. We're actually going to look at John 17. And we're going to answer the question, have you been sent? Looking at the transitive property of equality. And I know that sounds boring but it's going to get a lot better, I promise. Okay, so uh, before we do, one of the things I would like us to do is just really consider the mission that God has uniquely called us, but certainly according to his word at Fellowship Bible Church. We've been called to glorify God, this is how we state our mission statement, uh, by living out the life we have in Christ. It always starts with God's glory. But we are called to glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ. And so if you have your sermon notes this morning and you are a note taker, you're a student that likes to fill in the blanks, there are your blanks. Life is really an acronym for loving God, investing in others, following his word, and engaging our world. And I want you, I want y'all to know, I love God. I love to worship him. I love to talk to him. Um, and I like to invest in others. I mean, I guess I'm called to be a pastor. You must love people. So I like to invest, really love to serve and invest in other people. Uh, it's one of my passions. And I love his word. Uh, I really do. It's true. Uh, and, and so at Fellowship Bible Church, we love these. But here's my concern for the American church. Is I don't know how good of a job we're doing with the E. You know, that E sometimes in my life looks really lowercase. Like, I can love God, I can invest in people, I can follow his word, study it, learn it, try to apply it. But part of that application is actually living out the E, engaging our world. And I'm curious to know for you, when you look at engaging our world, if you would embrace this as your mission statement, especially if you're here at Fellowship as one of our members here, like, what does your E look like? And we're going to talk about that this morning. I really think a well-balanced believer uh, is majoring in all of these four areas. Well, we are, like I said, we're going to go into John 17. And in John chapter 17, you can go there if you have your Bible. If not, you'll see the scriptures that we're going to study on the screen in a minute. Um, this is Jesus's high priestly prayer. You probably see that kind of added uh, as, a, as a, a title to the, to the chapter. But it's Jesus's high priestly prayer. So he came out of spending time with his disciples in the upper room. We don't know specifically if he's still in the upper room when we turn into John 17. We don't know if he's on his way to Gethsemane, where he's praying to the Father um, that night as he's anticipating ultimately uh, what God is calling him to do to lay down his life, where literally he, he, he uh, sweats drops of blood uh, just with the stress. We don't know if it's like on the way or he's in the temple courts, but here's one thing we do know. It is one of the, the most remarkable prayers ever recorded. It happens to be in the Bible, obviously, but John 17, first off in the first five verses, he's really praying for himself. I mean, think about what he's going to do. He's going to lay down his life, and yet he's done nothing wrong. But he knows why he's been sent. And he's asking that God might glorify him, and he might bring the Father glory. But not only for his sake, he is also praying for the disciples. Now, by this time, he has 11 disciples with him. One has already kind of peeled off, which was Judas Iscariot. So we have the 11 disciples, and he's praying for these 11 disciples, and he's praying for protection for them because he knows where he's sending them. He's praying for sanctification, that they might be set apart and made holy. 
Uh, and then ultimately, he doesn't stop there because he knows the disciples will reach other people. He will reach disciples who make disciples. And if you're a believer, they lived out their mission if you're a disciple. And so our calling is to continue to make disciples, but he's prayed for our unity. And he's prayed that we might love one another and ultimately glorify God in the way that the church comes together to live out the mission that God has given us. So that's really the backdrop to Jesus's high priestly prayer. So it is very much, uh, you are a part of it if you're a believer. Now, I don't want you to forget, we're still talking about the transitive, uh, the transitive property of equality. And so we're going to look at three questions and how these three questions interact with one another. But the first question is, have you been called? Have you been called? And so uh, it's really important as we jump into John 17, if you haven't been called to follow Jesus, then ultimately you're here this morning asking or really answering your questions. Have you been called to follow Jesus as a believer of him? Really, points B and C make very little difference unless you respond to the call. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the calling of Simon Peter. Now, this is the only time I'm going to do this this morning. I'm going to go back to the actual calling in the text. It won't be up on the scripture but, or on the, the screen. Um, but I'm going to read the calling of Simon Peter. Later on, we just refer to him as Peter the Rock. But we're going to look at that. Now, if you don't have your Bible, uh, just listen, maybe even close your eyes and kind of go back to this calling. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, this is Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You know, it's remarkable when we look at the calling of Simon Peter. I'm really, I'm really uh, brought to mind. Three things come to mind. First off, we look at his response to the catch. Okay, so I can take you back there. Jesus is preaching so much so that the crowd is pressing in on him. And he needs to go out. And what I love about Jesus, he looks at the boat and he's like, hey, here's an open boat. And so he jumps in the boat. He asks for permission very politely and he sends him out. And, and so here's what we know about Simon. He's listening. Jesus is preaching the word of God. And so Simon's there listening, contemplating, and so when he comes back, Jesus individually 
pursues him and says, let's go out for a little fishing trip. And of course, Simon Peter's like, no, no, you don't understand. I fished all night and caught nothing. But he does the respond, okay, we'll do it. So he goes out there, casts their net, drops the net, and as you heard, uh, brought in an astounding catch, so much so that the nets were breaking. Peter then calls over to James and John, hey, help me out, the boat's sinking. This is incredible. Now let me ask you this. How did, though, he respond? Oh, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for all that you provided. No, Peter responds this way. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, when you're in the presence of greatness, you realize in this case, even after hearing the preaching of the word, that he's not as great as he thought he was. He ultimately needed a savior. He was always overlooked as his disciples. That's why they became fishermen. Not to say that he initially wanted to be a disciple, but Jesus extends the invitation to follow him. But I'm still astounded by the fact, oh great, being a Christian means everything's going to be great. The nets are going to be full. No, his quick response is, oh, depart from me, for I am a sinner in the presence of greatness, greatness, ultimately a sinless man, one who's preaching the word of God. His second response that you see is, he changes the trajectory in the course of of his vocation altogether. And I'm not saying that your vocation should change, but ultimately God's calling on your life ought to always trump the vocation in which you have. Before you came to Christ, we were, were going our own direction. And then since coming to Christ, it changes the way we see how we live our life. And that's what today's message is about. And lastly, what we see is he left everything. And Matthew chapter four says, immediately follow Jesus. Hey, y'all, at 16, I didn't know who Jesus was. I'm sure the people had preached the gospel to me a number of times. But when I saw my sin for what it was, and I realized it's because of me that there was a separation with God, but yet he provided a way, I was ready to follow. Because that gift is far greater than anything this world can offer. And so that night I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Has it been perfect? No, because I'm not perfect, only he is. But it's been great, because God is so good. And I'm asking you, have you been called? Let me spend a moment to clarify the gospel as we share in the kids' ministry. So you look up on the screen, we'll kind of follow through it here, the gospel, God's plan for us. Number one, God rules. This is God's creation. He's made all things. Jesus has been, he's ascended to the right hand. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is worthy of our praise. And it is only our sinful nature that says, no, I want to be Lord of my life. But think back to what Simon said, Master, Lord, I'll do as you say. See, this is God does rule and this is his creation. And one day he will make all things new. And we need to know that going into understanding the gospel. But ultimately we've sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't want to assume that everyone here has heard that. I certainly did, ages 1 to 15, but 16, it woke me up like never before. And 6.23, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, that which I've earned, for the wage of sin is death, separation. And I remember that night when he was sharing it with me, that was really bad news. And I think for a moment I forgot there was good news. Ah, but there's good news. So if we go to the next slide, what we're going to see here is not only we've sinned, 
But what we see is God has presented and provided a gift in John 3.16, which most people know. I don't know that everyone follows, but most people know. It says this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. What a gift that you've been granted. You've been offered. Not, not by works. It's by grace. It's a gift through faith. And then lastly, or lastly, we see that this Jesus gift, this Jesus offers this. I love this passage that we talk about in the kids' ministry. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.23, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? You've been given the opportunity to be the righteousness of God, and not by anything you ever have or could ever do, but because the sinless one died on your behalf, if you would just receive this gift. Kids, students, adults. And then we respond. What is our response? No, thank you. Or ultimately, yes, I see my sin, therefore I need a Savior. And we see in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, that is the good news. That's why this church exists. And that's why this morning, why we're here to talk about what do we do with this good news. But we first had to start with this question. Have you? Have you been called? Have you responded to the gospel that Jesus invited you to receive? And so the response is, I would say, if you are a believer, then commit to following Jesus daily. Commit to following Jesus daily. You see, this isn't a one-time event for Ryan at 16, and I just kind of thank you, God, I know I'm going to heaven now, or think I'm going to heaven, and I'll just do my own thing. No, Simon Peter left everything and followed Jesus. And we too, as his disciples, ought to do the same. Secondly, as we look at this, this isn't just uh, a one-time. It's not just an annual event. It's not just Christmas or Easter. It's not just one time where the students go on a mission trip and our life has changed and we get all excited and we come back and we don't do anything with it. No, there is this opportunity to commit to following Jesus daily. And it's not one time a week. It's not just here on Sunday. Although I love Sundays and worshiping the Lord with you. There's something invigorating about it. But God is ultimately asking you, providing that opportunity, if you are a follower of me, would you commit to following Jesus daily? So like I said, the first question is, are you following? The second question is, uh, are you being sanctified? Let's go back to God's word in John 17, 17. And what we see here is, again, Jesus praying for disciples. He says, sanctify them in truth, my word is truth, seventeen seventeen. So as I look at this idea of sanctification, this is a big word. I totally get it. I remember when I first started going to church, like all the words ended in like T-I-O-N, justification, sanctification. Like I had no idea what I was talking about. So we're going to talk about what sanctification looks like. What does it mean to be sanctified? It's very simple. That you, if you're following Jesus, have been set apart and are being made holy. And so Jesus is praying to the Father that you might take your disciples, set them apart from this world, and make them holy. Key word, apart from this world. If we go back to 16, what do we see? And they, disciples, are not of this world. Christians, we are not of this world. Just as Jesus says, I am not of this world. We need to be set apart 
and made holy. And that's why that we see our, my question is, are you being sanctified? And the question is, by what method and does God do that? And I would say with his word. All 66 books. I know we're a Bible church, but I think every church ought to be certainly about absolute truth that is founded on that. And so when we look at scripture, it, we, we see that it is inspired by God. It is absolutely true. It is free of error. It is authoritative over our life. And it is how God uh, can clearly communicate with us through his word. But he's also, if you're a believer, he's given you his spirit uh, to be able to understand it, apply it. But here's the deal. It is not of this world. It is ultimately God's word. So let me ask you this. Um, when you wake up in the morning and you think about the majority of your day, where do you get most of your information? And I'm just going to get real with you for a lot of time, especially when crazy stuff are going on in the world. I wake up, my feet hit the ground, or I pull out my phone and I start scrolling through the news. And then after we kind of get a feel on that, maybe in the stock market, then we go straight to what? For some of the social media, we get that little hit. Oh, that was, that was nice. Kind of a like. I got a like here. I posted that. was really good. Uh, all of a sudden, we are starting to be defined by the world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with social media or the news, but ultimately it is not meant to define you. God's word is meant to refine you. Because when I allow my, my mind to go there, all of a sudden I'm feeling less connected and I can't see my life and my mission, how God has defined it because I'm being overwhelmed with current events. The stock market's all over the place, right? Uh, maybe kids, maybe like, like students, as you go back in, you're like, I don't know what to do with all these assignments. Here's the deal. Ultimately, uh, we are called to be set apart, and God wants, by grace of grace, to make us holy. But he uses his word to do it. May the word of God refine you, not the world define you. So the last thing I want to kind of share on this point is I think about, um, I think about my kids and um, this is kind of an ongoing humorous thing in my household that I think about a lot. And it's like, if I say eat anything that you want, my, do you think they go to the vegetables? No. Mm -mm. No. Uh, if there's any Coke or Mountain Dew in the fridge, that's where they go. Uh, if there's any chips, if there's any ice cream. Okay, let's just be honest. So do I. All right. My wife is a great cook. She's a nutritious cook. Okay, and why am I telling you that? Because my natural tendency, as I tell them, is your meal is not always meant to be sort of like feed you whatever you want. It's all about you. Like sometimes we just have to eat a sandwich because it's functional and you need calories to get through the day, right? The truth is, how's your spiritual nourishment? Sounds kind of cheesy, but Jesus offered you fine dining every morning, just you and him. Man can't live on bread alone, but by every word of God. And he's made a way that you can have a relationship with the Father. Just slow it down a little bit and start your day with him. Sometimes it could be a verse. I mean, think about this. If you woke up tomorrow morning and you looked at verse 16, they are not of this world, it's just as I'm not of this world, you begin to think of the world differently and you say, Lord, how can I understand uh, what my mission is? Because this world is sending me mixed messages. So God has offered you fine dining every morning. And so the, I would tell you this, if you are being sanctified, what you need to do by grace through faith is dedicate yourself to knowing and growing in God's word. You'll see it pop up on the screen there. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.
the renewing of your mind according to truth. And Jesus says, my word is truth. He actually tells, he said, he's telling the Father, Father, your word is truth. So if you've been called, if you're being sanctified, if A equals B and B equals C, if you're being sanctified, then you're called to be sent. Let me give you a quick aside. As I was in seminary, um, that's the place for pastors go to be trained. Uh, that too sometimes can be a little bit of a big word if you're not used to church. And I was in seminary and they had us memorize John seventeen seventeen. Now you remember how good I am at memorizing things in geometry class. Uh, so I'm like, why am I memorizing this? Uh, okay. And then I looked at 18 and I kind of scratched my head a little bit. Like sanctify them in truth. My word is truth. Okay. I get that. We're at Dallas Theological Seminary. We're studying the Bible, but could, should we not memorize 18 all, also? Let me, let me read 18 for you. As you sent me, Jesus says, into the word, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You see, we are being sanctified not for our own right or for our own self, but ultimately so that we might be sent into the world. So we'll go back for the last time to this transitive property of equality without a shadow of a doubt. If you've been called, you have been sent into the world. Now, many times when I say that, I think many times, like, like in the believer, especially a new believer, I started realizing, well, God, are you going to call me to go someplace that I don't want to go? I mean, look at the world. It's big. What if I don't want to go where you send me? That's a reasonable question. Don't worry. I promise you, if you're pursuing Christ and you're spending time with him daily and you are allowing him to renew your mind with his word, he will give you a heart for the people he calls you to reach. But let me make a distinction between missionaries and disciple makers. Missionaries are vocationally called and intentionally equipped disciple makers who cross barriers, distance, culture, language, reaching the lost with the gospel. We're not all called to be missionaries. As a church, we're called to raise up missionaries and send them out into parts of the world that none of us will ever go. But that is not our response to what Jesus is challenging us to do. Our response is to go out those doors as disciple makers and reach our city for Christ. Envision with me for a minute. If four, 500 people walked out the door today, really responding to this because what Jesus has done for you and the number of people that you can make an impact for Christ on, it would be incredible. But if you, if you think of nothing else, I want you to think of this. And I want you to embrace this. Know that your calling is just as important as a missionary. Your calling is just important as a church staff member. Because Jesus tells us, if you're a follower of me, then I will send you out into the world with the gospel to make an impact on it. That is what we have all called to do, all believers, as Jesus prays to the Father. Now, Jennifer Abels, our LiveWire's uh, ministry director, shared Matthew twenty eighteen through 20. Many times we know that is the Great Commission. 
Okay, so it's sort of what Jesus commands his disciples to do um, before he is ultimately going to uh, ascend to the right hand of the Father. This is uh, after he has been after he's been raised from the dead, and so he gives us this great commission. If we can go there, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but as you look at it, Jesus ultimately says in verse ni- verse 19 to his disciples, and ultimately to whom his disciples reach, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Wait a minute, Ryan. You said I'm not called to go to all nations. No, I didn't necessarily say that. God may call you to do that. But here's the key word, go. Because that word actually does mean go to all nations. It means as you are going. So if you are called to follow Jesus, let me encourage you this week. As you are going, you have an opportunity to respond to the mission that God has uniquely given each one of you. I don't know if we're ready to receive it, but wouldn't it be incredible if we really understood and embraced what God has called his disciples to do as you are going this week, maybe in a couple weeks into the classroom, as you are going this week onto the sports field, as you are going this week onto whatever court it is that you play sports, if you are in dance, as you go into the dance company, as you go into the doctor's office, if you're a doctor, your calling is not by chance. It's for Jesus' sake. On the flip side, because I've been there, as you were going into the doctor's office and you received a diagnosis that you never thought you would hear, as you were going, you're going to share hope that is going to dumbfound and astound people because of your hope in Jesus Christ. As you are going into your community, as you are going into your neighborhood, do do you think we live in a neighborhood by chance? Who's reaching your neighbor? Who's befriending your neighbor? Who's looking to build relationships with your neighbor? Why is God, why did it work out for you to buy that house as you were going into the grocery store? Let's be honest. It's really hard to navigate the grocery store. It's one of my least favorite places because everybody's like banging baskets and I'm just like, hey, I'll just stand on the end of the aisle. But what could it look like if everybody in that grocery store was being Jesus to one another, right? But as you are going, as you drive, you see, this is not an easy calling to show the love of Christ to other people. As you go into your business, your place of work, as you go to your work. See, God is calling on a greater mission than you ever thought possible. As you go, would you show and share the love of Jesus Christ? Brian, what does that look like? What does that really look like? Well, I want to show you a picture of our student ministry mission trip. And this is just a little taste of what that looked like. In this picture, you're going to see 67 students, 55, I'm sorry, 67 participants, 67, 57, uh, back up, 55 students and 12 leaders. I promise you we didn't leave anybody behind. We actually left two at the beach the last day because their parents were in the, in the area and picked them up. So we did come back with two less. But we always made sure we had the right head count. Because part of our mission was... Whoever we take, we got to bring them back. But there's a picture of all of our students, right, going into eighth grade through graduate, who just graduated. It's, it was remarkable. For one whole week, we were together. We had to put up with one another. We actually enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But our mission was clear to show and, and to share the love of Jesus wherever he had us. So this next picture is a picture of our praying our, our daily mornings, we're going in our small groups to just do a devotional, read the word, ultimately look at 
in that devotional, how is God raising us up for that day to serve people? It was so simple. Lord, wherever you have me, whether a planned ministry event or maybe if I just happened to be um, at a fast food place, we saw students engaging people in the community just at the fast food place. Why? Because they were prepared to serve or to, to pray. They were prayed up. They had set their minds on things above. In service, this is an idea of what we did. We painted walls. Uh, we painted houses. We were at this one food bank that was, they were bringing in some food for people with food insecurities and kind of redistributing it out to places that would give it to them. We had a kids club, so we were engaging with, with kids from the community. But there was something right about waking up and wanting to serve and look for opportunities to share the love of Christ. Let's look at some of the people we had a chance to, to meet there. So you see some of the people whose home we had an opportunity, that they've given us the opportunity to, to bless, maybe by painting it or doing some other stuff. Uh, we had the kids club where you got to hang out with some of the kids and just get to know them. Um, and, and Charlene, uh, which is the bottom right hand with the, the pink shirt, she was one of my uh, people I got to meet. You know, sometimes when you see uh, people, you really don't know their story till you slow down and just meet them and talk with them and build relationships. And Charlene's husband had a stroke. And so that's why he was bedridden inside. And Youth Works, the organization we worked with, was coordinating these projects with people. And multiple people come every week with Youth Works to care and love on these people. And so we just got to meet with her and to talk with her and pray with her because everything we were doing in that house is what the husband used to do. But he no longer do it. And it was just way too overwhelming for her. That is a way sometimes just to live on mission, showing the love of Jesus, having a servant-oriented mindset, looking for opportunities, not only to be the gospel, but to share the gospel. And I want to give you a quote from one of our junior hires when we were all said and done. Now keep in mind, I realized, because I have one of these, junior high boys are junior high boys, right? And so uh, note to self, when you're on a van with a junior high boy, don't sit uh, in front of them because they'll kick your seat, right? So we heard that a couple times. Like, but well, the cool thing is, is we saw students win on mission, win on their projects, just start to like, not just tolerate, encourage, love, and enjoy being around one another for who they were. And so sometimes when we get back, I was like, I wonder what really went through the mind and the heart of some of our junior high boys, so not my son, but one of the junior high boys, I had a chance to ask him. I just said, I'll keep his name anonymous. But I just said, hey, tell me what God taught you on the trip. I'm just curious. And I was ready for anything. Truly, here's what he said. I saw how the smallest things, like painting a wall or trimming a tree, made some of the biggest impact for the people we served this week. I was like, wow. And he went on. If our small actions made that big of a difference, how much bigger of a difference can the gospel make in a person's life? He got it. See, we need to build relationships, little things. The little things make the biggest difference. Looking for opportunities to share. And for those people who we have the opportunity to share and receive the gospel, it changes their life for an eternity. So I specifically want to kind of go through three, uh, three points for you to think about this week, how you can reach out. Because I came back, and I'm still thinking this to myself, why was it so right in Bayou Labatry for one week? And I've come back, and I'm kind of depressed. 
Because I loved hanging out with those kids and those students. And I loved hanging out with my family. And I loved, but there was something so intentional about that week that I come back and the busyness of life. Like, could life ever really look like that? And I think the answer is yes. Yes for all of us. Let's take a look. Number one, if we would all start our day praying, if we would prepare our minds with God's word and our hearts ready to receive the mission he has for us. Many times we go into that day thinking, God bless my day with the mission I have. What if we just, we've opened up our life so open and would you, God, would you bless it and lead me where you have me? And most of the time your schedule's set, but what would it look like a God who's created the opportunity for you just to be in relationship with him, that you would hold your day that loosely? And would you prepare my mind and my heart to follow you today? Secondly, serve. Lord, would you show me how I can serve others in the smallest things of life. They make some of the biggest impacts. Hold the door a little bit longer. Walk a little bit slower. Smile at that person. Look at your schedule and all the people who God has intentionally placed before you today, tomorrow, this week, are opportunities for you to be sent into the world. And ultimately, don't back down from sharing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story in how he's changed his life, how he's changed your life. Don't ever back down from that because it changed my life, the gospel. Ultimately, that story leads to the gospel. A friend of mine inviting me to church and I go and I heard the gospel for the first time. Share your testimony. Understand the gospel. Don't be ashamed of it. It has the power to transform lives for an eternity. And I was thinking about this in Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, and lo, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why would you not share about the one who called you, redeemed you, loves you, and who is with you? Think about who is with you in that moment, wherever you are. If you're a professor on campus at Baylor, look at that opportunity. If you're a teacher in a classroom in any of our uh, schools here in the area, if you're just walking through, think about how God is using you to share. He is with you. Let's share about the one who has died for us so that we might have eternal life. And so that's how you can live out the gospel. And let me share quickly how we as a church can live out the gospel together here in Waco. So discipleship we define as the intentional and relational process of maturing Christ-centered believers and mobilizing them for ministry. You know, part of my job here, along with our staff, is to create opportunities for you to be mobilized. And so as we go into the fall, here are going to be four options we're going to put before you all fall uh, to think about. August 28th of this month, we're going to share more about them, but I just wanted to put them in front of you today, kind of like seed. We'll see if uh, God's going to grow it for you. Um, The first one is stars book clubs. This is a partnership with Antioch Church who is sending, uh, partnering with churches and sending them all over uh, into Waco ISD. And I've had an opportunity multiple times. George jumped on this last year. We have a dozen people in J.H. Hines. Is it a little further? Yes. Where is the greatest need? When they ask that, what's the greatest need? J.H. Hines. Is it a little further? I can spend five to seven more minutes in the car reaching the boys that we got to reach, and also the ladies on staff you see there reaching the guys and girls who they're getting to reach. It's an incredible ministry of just showing up and showing the love of Jesus. And I guarantee you, they're going to ask questions. Next, we've also partnered with Isaiah 117 House. Isaiah provides physical and emotional support uh, in a safe and loving home for children 
um, awaiting foster care placement. We're really excited about partnering with this ministry. If we could just share more, and we will, about how we care for orphans, how we care for those going into the foster care system, how we care for the CPS workers, let's fellowship, mobilize ourselves into the community with the love of Jesus. Next, we can look at CareNet, longstanding partners with them, caring for moms, caring for dads, looking for opportunities to encourage and especially the unborn, we have an opportunity with CareNet to come alongside and just say, hey, how can I help? How can I spend part of my time investing in y'all's ministry? And then lastly, Operation Christmas Child. Never underestimate that what a gift can do in a child's life around the world. We're going to be, we have, I'm not sure what our goal is this year, but we'll have hundreds of boxes that we encourage us to put together. By just putting together a shoebox of gifts, we can be certain that the gospel is going to go forth to the ends of the earth through Samaritan Purse with Operation Christmas Child. And I'm going to say, and more. Fellowship, what else could we do? So I'm going to go ahead and call our worship team up now. But I want us to think about the very, uh, the very focus of the morning. If you've been called to follow Jesus, then you have been sent into the world with the gospel And so they're going to come up and they're going to sing uh, our last song. And my prayer is that this song is ultimately your prayer. So in a minute here, they're going to lead us in this response song. Let me pray.